Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Spotlight Hollywood Edition. This is episode number 45. I'm here all the way live from Los Angeles, California. I'm Kente, your host. And uh, as always, you can call in and participate. The number is area code 347-857-3385. Once again, that's area code 347-857-3385. Remember, you have to press 1 and be entered into the host queue. That's the only way that we'll know that you've called. You can also come to our website at uh, indyradio.org. That's I-N-D-Y radio.org just come in you can come in through your social media or whatever you like and participate and join in the fun now the ladies are not going to be joining us today uh um for different reasons but i have my two uh co-hosts from the talking about walkers walking dead podcast i have of course yardley how you doing yardley hey i'm doing great kente it's a beautiful day here today and i'm in atlanta man uh I always love being on the spotlight, man, and getting it in with you and Olaf, man. It's always fun, man, and I look forward to tonight, man. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really excited about tonight. Uh, also joining us, we call him the captain. That is Captain Olaf Barbosa. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's like a good, good day today, and, and it's like here, here in Indiana, it wasn't too bad. So, and uh, and and. Just great to be with you guys. I think we'll have to do a better show because you know them women; they just like to talk and hear themselves talk and stuff. And you know us guys, <laughs> we get down to business and and, and, and take care of business. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll have a better show. <laughs> prepare to prepare to get bombarded. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's funny. I like I like to open myself up to get bombarded every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, with uh, emphasis on bomb yeah. <laughs> in it. Um, also too, you know, last night we had our season finale of our Mars Venus show and, uh, we had some, uh, people reading his signs and we had a tarot card reader as well. And, uh, they gave you some advice. They told you, man, to to get on that horse and really, you know, use 2015 and make it happen. uh, Olaf. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were like, they were like going, your, your, uh, your light is shining bright. Stop hiding it. <laughs> get out there and get after it because you're you're it's a, this is your day in the sun basically yeah so you know we, you're gonna have to follow that so we still yeah, big it's like, things everyone's from, like a, gonna have to make it's like gonna have to make it happen <laughs> make it happen captain i like, yeah, it's like the captain's gonna make it happen that's what it is <laughs> yes and and before we get into our uh our guests i just want to let people know that we we're doing some things a little different this week on sa- sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, we're having a special episode of The Spotlight. And it's a TMU reunion special. We have Ken White is going to be on that episode, uh, The Monk, Arpo, as well as Roger. So that should be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, that is Sunday uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, as well as uh, no Mars Venus until next year. But uh, we have a couple of other uh, spotlight episodes as well. So, and uh, of course, this Thursday we have a spotlight as well. So, a lot of great things coming up. All right, so let's get right into our guest. Uh, they call him the robot ma- uh, master, Tony Dyson, a uh, professor. Uh, Tony Dyson, Anthony Dyson. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> Hi, <laughs> uh, robot master. Okay, fine. 
<laughs> hey, I like that. I like that. The Master of Robots. That's a good. That's a good one. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> Sometimes I wish. Oh my God. Now, um, now, obviously, we love to do this. We detect an accent, so you got to tell us where exactly are you from, and uh, if you oh. don't mind sharing with us, where are you at right now? Well, I come from East um, uh, Russia. I'm English. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from Malta. Malta, yes. You, you know, yeah, Malta, five past three in the morning. <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. I'm, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, before we, we get into everything, uh, you know, with you, uh, let's tell us about Malta. What is it like living there? Because we can only imagine it must be a beautiful place to stay. It's not bad at all, actually. It's a very small island. I live in an even smaller island called Gozo. Um, there's two, three islands, actually. One of them, it's only got a hotel on it, Canmino. But Gozo is pretty small as well. So it's unusual. I've been here 25 years Wow. in total. Yeah, I retired or tried to retire when I was 40. Um, didn't work out very well. <laughs> so I came to this beautiful island, and about a year ago I moved to, to Goza. I'm just alongside the sea, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, an unbelievable place to be when you're a writer. I write, now I write um, books for children, Kingler, and publishing two, two before Christmas uh, for small children. So... You know, it's nice to have a nice, uh, quiet environment. Yeah, I like it. Does the island lifestyle help you with your writing process? Or because everything's so laid back, does it uh, make it take longer? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's um, the laid back bit I've always liked. Um, because the great thing about living in a, on an island, even England, is that you can actually fly out, get the excitement, and then come back a nice quiet environment right mm-hmm. uh, and that's exactly what I do and there's, I'm not the only one here actually from show business we've got quite a few um, that actually come here and sort of uh, span out or write their books or you know just rest between films so it's, it's just really useful yeah all right now um, now where are you from originally England England okay and uh, how long did you stay in England before you you uh, eventually moved on. Say that one again. How long were you in England before you eventually moved on from England? How long did you stay there? Oh, uh, you try and make me do maths at this time in the morning. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, 20, um, I'm 67, mm-hmm. and I came here 25 years ago, so you work it out. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> so uh, growing, up in, uh, growing up in England, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of you guys come out to Hollywood and do quite well, in fact. And uh, so, w- as a young man, was that like an always a goal of yours to get to Hollywood and and be a part of the the bright shining lights of it? Yeah, of course. Um, but the surprising thing, uh, have you told everybody that I made I built R two D two yet? No, no, we're going to definitely get into that. We're, we're, uh, we're building up. Because they might be there. thinking, who the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a good idea that they actually know I built R2-D2. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. And 
and trust me, we're going to have tons of questions on that. I'm so excited oh, once, we, okay, once we get okay. to that part. But, but actually, Tony, um, to kind of yeah. piggyback off of you saying that you did children books, out in Malta, what type of inspiration drove you to want to get into writing children's books? Are, are there a lot of children out there that acted as inspiration? Or is that something that you've always wanted to do and later on in life um, you had a window opened up for you to pursue that? Oh, the last one, the last one, the last one. Yeah, it isn't to do with a. Um, in actual fact, I don't actually work in Malta at all. You know, I mean, I don't even look at the particular at the market. Um, I am invited to robot competitions. I've just done one a couple of months ago mm-hmm. um, to judge whatever's going on. So I get involved that way. But uh, except for that, no, I am. I work on the web. Um, I work internationally. So that's where it really comes in. Um, the last thing you said about, was it something I've always wanted to do? Yes, it, it is, actually. <laughs> Funny enough. Um, I like teaching. I give lectures. And I really like the fantasy side um, of using fantasy. Cre- I mean, for example, one of the books I'm bringing out for Christmas is called Wild Flower Fairies. So it's for the younger, obviously, younger children. Um, and it teaches them about flowers, wildflowers. Um, the other one is called Bobbikins, and that's about friendship. So it teaches children about friendship. Um, so basically, a teaching angle to the books and using fantasy at the same time is something that's always fascinated me. Um, so I decided, well, I've been making um, animations up to now, but I decided a couple of months ago that I would spend next year, um, begin the end of this year, next year, um, publishing and actually getting my, my books out in Kindle. Um, awesome. Because but it's something I want, you know, as you just said, I mean, you, you put your finger on it. I've really always wanted to do something of that nature. So I thought, get on with it, Dyson, get on with it. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> and, and you know what else is great? The fact that you've decided, one of the, uh, one of the things that you decided, um, first of all, is getting it um, in ebook form. Because, you know, as we all know, even though hard covers and things that people have in their hands, hopefully that'll never go out of style. But the fact that you're embracing technology and getting your works out in ebook form, I think that that's really awesome. Yeah, it's really fantastic. I'll tell you what really excites me most of all about self-publishing. The most fascinating thing about it is obviously it's far inexpensive against uh, any other kind of publishing. I mean, it's fantastic when you do digital publishing. But you can also do a uh, print version, print mm-hmm. on demand. I mean, Amazon do print on demand. So, for example, the next stage will be actually taking my book, especially the fairy book, because it's very visual. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, the books I produce were all... Um, Photo books are all picture books. Okay. So that's the, that's the main um, thread right through it. Um, and because they're picture books and they go down well with Kindle Fire, because there's three versions of Kindle Fire and they all take um, photographs, pictures, images. Uh, and the nice, nice thing they've developed is that if you double click on the text, it actually mm-hmm. blows up into a pop up. Oh, that's is that awesome. Cool? It is, that's isn't it? Cool. That is nice. I mean, I didn't actually know about that until ooh, a month ago uh, when I was actually downloading some software from Amazon. Um, and I saw it said pop-up. I thought, oh, it must be a pop-up image because I always think of pop-ups on websites, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out it'd be a pop-up text. So if oh, people have cool. got a smaller device, 
and they can't read the text in the in the image, you just click it, double click it, and it brings up a nice box with you know big font for the child to read. So I thought, wow, this has got to be the way to go. <laughs> yeah, this is that, fantastic, you know. That sounds so, perfect for me. Pictures and <laughs> big words. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a book I could actually read. Yeah. Good, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you've got nice pictures and you've got blow up text. Uh, that that's got to be good news. And that works also well because next year I'm starting a whole series of amazing robots. So it's actually a book from each country, what robots they have in that country, like, you know, in China or Japan. Because I do a lot of work in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be really exciting. I'm just building up the photographs at the moment for it. And it, yeah, I said the text will pop up. They can say, you know, who manufactures it or who's developing that robot. So kids can actually see what's going on because there's so much around. Mm-hmm. You really need to concentrate in one area. So, you know, if a mom and dad know their child's very excited about uh, robotics, they can actually get one of the books and actually see the robotics, uh, be it toy robots or be it um, development robots, research robots, whatever. Um, and they can specialize on the, the book they go for. That's pretty exciting. I'm enjoying that because people have been saying to me for, oh, God, I don't know how many years. Um, bring out a book, Tony. Bring out a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking... Have you any idea how much it takes to actually bring out a book, uh, let's say, mm-hmm. about robotics, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. It really is tricky. And by the time you finish writing it, it's out of date anyway. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> is so true. No, well, that, yes, couldn't, that. You, couldn't you build a robot to write the robot book so it would do it faster? It's <laughs> a great idea. It's like then you, would have, then you, you would absolutely be the first uh, robot writer, a uh, uh, robot book writer that had a robot write the book for you. <laughs> yes, well, there is actually some software that can write books for you, but it's not about you know a technical subject, that's for sure. Uh, no, I mean serious. It would be out of date, so that makes it tricky. So this type of book, you know, the Kindle book I'm talking about, which is a, a picture book, just shows all the best or, let's say, the most bright and interesting robots uh, for 2015 in that particular area. Um, so it's a, a guide, and the text in it is basically just about who developed it and what it does. So it's a whole different kind of ball game. Um, and again, you can do that with Kindle Fire. So I'm yeah. going for that. I mean, that is so great. Yeah, it's very yeah. exciting. And you know what else would probably be awesome? Not only with the pop-up feature, if there is a way, and I don't know if you can look into this, but also if it could pop up and maybe the picture comes up and it's maybe like an animated gift so that when you're doing your thing with the robots, you know, you can see it moving a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. in gift form or ah. something. Maybe that's something what that you should consider. I've already done it. Oh, boom. You've got all bases covered. I didn't get to that bit yet. Right? Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you you take, for example, starting backwards, if you take, for example, the other uh, book I was telling you about, the fairy book and the Bobakin book, yeah? Mm -hmm. Uh What the um, Kindle Fire does is it actually will run on a Kindle, the actual dedicated machine, yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, It'll also run on an iPad. And a PC. Now, because of those three, which are totally different um, uh, foundations, because they're so different, they don't actually, in their software anyway, um, allow uh, a link. Because if it goes, let's say, for example, onto their Kindle, 
you can't actually use a browser. So if you have a link, you know, a web link I'm talking about now, sorry. Uh, if you have a link inside the book, it's not going to work on a Kindle machine because they haven't got a, a web browser. But a link would work on a PC and it would work on some of the handheld. But they leave it out because it doesn't work on their machine. So I thought, oh, how the hell do I get over that one? There's two ways to get over it, and I'm using both methods. One is to use um, augmented reality. You know about that, yes? Mm -hmm. No, uh, yeah. explain it to the audience. It's when you actually use an app. In my case, it's called Zapper, and it's a free app. And you point it towards a, a target picture or a, a logo. Now, I've produced a logo with Zapper, in, in conjunction with Zapper, um, where you just point to this logo on the first page of the fairy book, and it actually brings up animated fairies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Is that cool or what? Yeah. Um, yeah. On the other books, I'm going to be using QR codes, because hmm. everybody's got, most people have got those on their machines. Mm -hmm. So you can actually bring it up, let's say, on the Kindle. Use your handheld, zap because you can actually make, I forgot to tell you, on the Kindle you can actually make the photographs bigger, you know, by using your fingers. Um, so you can enlarge the photographs as well. So then you can enlarge this small photograph of um, a QR code, zap it, and go straight to the website and see the animation. With robots, lots of the robots are somewhere hidden in the millions and millions of films on YouTube. So you can actually, you know, zap over straight to the actual video of the robot. Does that all make any sense to you? Yes, yes, it makes perfect sense. Um, yes, if it, did, it didn't, it's because it's so early in the morning. <laughs> for you, for you. But no, no, it makes, makes perfect sense. And I, I like the idea of using the technology to you know, get across with, you know, because now you have these platforms like Kindles and the different tablets and stuff like that. And I like the fact that, you know, you're expanding the use of it and using it for, you know, educational as well as entertainment as well. So that's pretty awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm excited about it. For an old geezer, it's not bad, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like pretty, pretty, tech, pretty tech savvy, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, you know, um, it's, it's a really cool way of getting over the problems, as I said, of not having a hot link on there. Uh, and the idea for, uh, for the fairy book, which teaches you about uh, wildflowers, uh, the idea that they can actually go and see either on the website, my website, or through augmented reality, um, the fairies dancing and you know talking to their respective flowers, uh, which I've made a film for every flower, um, is really cool. Uh, the idea is to get the, the child excited about the fairies, so they get excited about the flowers, obviously. Um, and the same thing I did with the bobbikins, which is a, a fancy creature I've developed, um, teaching them about friendship. Um, they can see a video for each page. So there's 22 pages in that particular book. Uh, and each one has its own animated version with uh, a voice, you know, with narration. So the narrator reads out the story while you watch it animated. Now, you can't put the animation in Kindle yet. But with the link, they can watch the video anyway. So they get the two in one, you know, they get the Kindle book. And they also get the animation for each page. Hmm. Nice. nice. Nice, huh? Yeah, it's really nice. It's very nice. Great. I'm pretty chuffed about it as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, there's, you know, 
there's a lot of fascination when it comes to robots. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, want to know more and want to make them more part of uh, our everyday life. But then there's also a fear of robots as well. Uh, you, you, I'm sure you've heard this quite a bit. Uh, the Terminator fear of, you know, one day uh, they'll take over or something like that. What do you think about this, uh, this fear of robots? Is it justified or is there something that we should think about when we integrate robots or computers into our lifestyle? Mm. Should there be some? Well, no, sort of it's, a, it's a very good and valid question. Actually, but I've just finished an, um, an interview article uh, with a good friend of mine in the states about the exact same subject. About should we have Asimov's laws and the three basic laws that Asimov, the writer, fictional writer, put down for for robots, and would they be practical and would they work? Um, so yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense. Also, by the way. They named the scientist in the film after me. <laughs> <laughs> so the actual scientist that developed Skynet in Terminator is called Dyson. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> they, they contacted him and said, would I be offended? Uh, duh. Uh, so that's a bit like, uh, yeah, okay. I get a bit close there. If it comes down to uh, IR, um, AI, yeah, artificial intelligence, AI, mm-hmm. uh, IIA, one or two. Uh, if it comes down to artificial intelligence, which is what we're really discussing with Skynet, uh, we're a long, long, long way off that. That is for certain. Mm-hmm. The other side we have to be concerned about, and yes, we do have to be concerned, um, is not if robots are going to kill us by demand of their human masters, because clearly in a war zone situation, um, robots are becoming a major um, part. They're playing a major part in that. Um, and that's where the money is, of course, obviously. But I think we should be watching out a little bit more about the privacy issue when it comes to unmanned aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an incredibly growing industry. I mean, I've never seen an industry grow so fast in robotics in all my life. Um, they're everywhere. Ever since they've made unique digital cameras... They're so useful. I mean, they're useful to the armed forces, of course, obviously. They can fly them wherever they want to and see whatever's happening. But also, of course, for the film industry, which is my industry, um, you can, the cameras are so fantastic that you can actually fly with these miniature aircraft, helicopters, basically, um, anywhere. The first scenes in Harry Potter where a car, they're driving a, a flying car underneath a bridge, all of that work is done with a uh, unmanned aircraft, a drone. Mm-hmm. So that's going back a few years, you know, like 10 years or so. Hmm. So, yeah, the, nearly all the, the great shots now in films are done this way. Um, the army uses them, but the police forces are using them as well. So that's bringing up an issue about privacy. So we've got to watch out for that one. Hmm. Well, they can come and go when they want. They can be silent. Um, and they can see practically everything that's going on. So, yeah. Now, I, I want to uh, bring up some of the films that you had a, uh, that you worked on um, as the uh, special effects coordinator and, and such. Um, now, one film that I definitely want to ask you about is uh, uh, it's a film that people love, love to hate it. But it, it also has a, a special place in a lot of uh, fans' hearts, and that's the movie Moonraker. 
so uh, can you can you give us some insight on your involvement with that film and what that okay that was like? Let me first let me first of all mm, surprise you by saying most of my work was actually done in England. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people realize that uh, Star Wars was filmed in England. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the Moonraker, being obviously James Bond, definitely made in England. Uh, James Bond and Moonraker was my first film. Whee! <laughs> yeah. So, there I am. Um, or Going back a little bit, when I was 18, I wanted to work in the film industry. Um, I didn't mind if it was behind the camera or in front of the camera, to be honest with you. And my sister's working at the telephone exchange when we used to have operators in them days. You can see how far back. That is, steam engine time. And she rang me up one weekend. My parents were away. And she said, Tony, I found Pinewood Studios. It wasn't lost, but we didn't know where it was. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it was just a name like in Hollywood. It was a big name. That was it. So she told me how to get there. So I get on my scooter. And I pop down to Pinewood Studios. And there's a big guard outside the door. Gates, actually. And I said, I want to work here. I'll do anything. I'll sweep the floors. I'll do anything. <laughs> and then he told me to, mm-mm, off. Several years later, a friend said, you didn't try to go through the main gate, did you? I said, yeah. He said, no, 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 Tony, no, 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 no. Take the second gate. Um, and just nod to the guy as if you, you, know, you know what you're doing. So that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and there was a, uh, a guard, and I just nodded, and he opened the goats, and I was in there. And right on the right-hand side, as I went through the, the doors, and this is, remember, like a Hollywood studio. I mean, it basically is one. There's this huge building, and it had on the side of it, 007. And I'm going like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I made it. I made it. Uh, And so I'm actually driving around, and there's people in their uh, costumes, and there's models. and I mean, just as you see in the movies, you know. I mean, it's a movie studio, full-blown movie studio. So I walked around for a couple of hours, wondering what the hell do I do next now I've got in here. Um, anyway, I did actually find someone, a special effects uh, operator, and I said that I can do this, this, and this. And he gave me my first job making all the space models in Moonraker. And so I went back to a little studio where I was making, at the time, a rocking horse, would you believe? <laughs> um, and I said to myself, Help! 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 <laughs> what do <you> now? <laughs> 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 that's how I started you, you know what's funny though about uh, Moonraker is people like to uh, down it but for the longest it was like the highest grossing James Bond film uh, for the longest so it, it did uh, it did quite well at the box office I, I, I recently saw it like maybe uh, middle middle of the year and uh, I'd forgotten you know so much about it. it you know it's like a regular Bond film and then all of a sudden they're in outer space <laughs> on uh, the yeah. jetpacks and I stuff mean, like that. Those kind of things get, you know, they, they, they are, they're not bad, the early ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really what happens is that, I mean, I'll go back to some of my favorite films, by the way. I mean, take, for example, I was always a Sean Connery fan, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, the first James Bond. And I was just, had him well uh, in my mind as being the best of the best. And about a year year and a half ago, I, uh, on the web, I decided one evening to actually watch one of the Bond films. And, oh, my Godfathers, it was diabolical. 
it, to me it was anyway. I mean, it totally was different to what I had remembered. Because what happens is we relate the time of our lives to the time when we see a film. And then we take it and we box it and we say, right, that was great, you know. Um, but when you're actually out of that framework, out of that box, things aren't quite the same. Um, and a good example of that is the new James Bond. Mm-hmm. When I saw the actor that they chose, I thought, really? You know? But he is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I have to give them full credit. They really have moved with the times. They got criticized as being a little bit on the old-fashioned side when making Jane Bond films. Um, but, oh, the last, what, three Jane Bonds, I think, are amazing. Absolutely amazing. They've got all the movement, they've got all the special effects, but they haven't out, you know, done too much of it because that can happen, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them. I don't know what you think about the latest James Bond Oh, films. yeah, Skyfall was, was great in Casino Royale. They, they were definitely really good. And I, I, I had my... I knew that Daniel Craig was a, a good actor, but he looked like more like a James Bond villain than a, a James yeah. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he, he turned out to be a pretty good James Bond. I gotta give it to him, man. I, I, I agree with you totally. Yeah. You know, he's a character actor, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't look like a Bond, but he is fabulous. He is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot wait. I mean, there's one just come out, I think another one just come out, or coming out. Yeah, I mean, Spectre. I really, really enjoyed them. I think they're right up to pace. They're as good as anything out there, they have a lot better. They haven't out, you know, done too much special effects, which is always a downer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, yeah, very convincing. Very convincing. Very hard. Published yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, a good friend of mine is is of ours is in the chat room, and I have to bring this up, uh, this film up, uh, Superman Two, which uh, you know is I know for a lot of fans probably their favorite of the Superman films. That in the first one, uh, the, the original General Zod, uh, that was a a great film uh, for its time. And uh, so, what was that like working on that and your involvement? It was great. Well, it were, yeah, it was great. Um, Christopher is... Um, we've lost Christopher, which is terrible. Lovely man. Absolutely fantastic man. Um, that was a funny period for me, actually, because at the time, I was befriending... Uh, other studios, by the way. Uh, I had a studio outside of the main studio. So I had my own studio and my own crew, right? Um, but some special effects groups, like myself, actually rent space within the studio grounds, Okay. Mm-hmm. So I used to often go up there to actually go around to see if they wanted an extra work doing if they couldn't cope, because that happens very, very often. Thank God. And I gave them all work that way. And I befriended a model-making company there, a lovely man. Never actually did any work with him, but he used to have me up there, and uh, we used to chat about what models he was making for a museum while we were waiting for another film to come along and so on. And he invited me to the green room. Well, you know the green room. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two canteens in the studio. The green room is where the actors and directors go, and the other canteen is for all the other, hopefully, you know, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah. He said, would you like to come up and bring your girlfriend? Well, I was going out with a, a German girl at the time, and I said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. She'd love that. Fabulous. So I pops up there, showing off, of course, as soon as I go to the gate, waved to my friend with the hat, and showed her the bond uh, studio and she, yeah she was rightfully impressed i thought i'm i'm well in here for sure <laughs> and we get to the green room and we're sitting down and all of a sudden we have she's on the opposite side to me with this uh this friend of mine and on one side i've got uh, christopher 
and he's actually in his costume still with a bobby pin at the front with his hair, you know, <laughs> curl. And he's on one side, and I think I had, I can't remember if it was somebody else on the right, on the right hand side, was, um, we think now, Arabian Nights actor. And he was in his costume as well. I thought, I haven't got a chance in hell. Between <laughs> 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 these total hunks of men in their costumes, sitting there eating, and I'm trying to give a good impression, right? <laughs> so that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about uh, working on the Superman films. So, yeah, it was great fun. The special effects were fantastic. As I said, Christopher was fabulous to work with. He was a really nice guy. Um, yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Now, Tony, we've got to get to something that's near and dear to my heart, which is Star Wars. Now, I've been waiting this whole show to ask you about <laughs> it, so I'm definitely going to bombard you with some juicy stuff. But one of the things that I was wondering, and I kind of want to take this back um, to the process prior to you actually um, starting the process of you building one of the most well, I'm not going to say one of the most, the most iconic sci-fi robot that has ever existed in TV and movie history. What I was wondering is, um, early on in the process, before it got to you necessarily starting to build the R2 unit, did you have any input into the final visual design of R2-D2 before you actually got started building it? With that incredible write-up, if I just tell you I can't remember a damn thing, would that go down all right? <laughs> no, it would not go down all right. <laughs> I'd be devastated. Ah, you sports sports. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the studio provided the concept drawings. That's what they did. Um, and that was very, very difficult to convert those into a, a physical item. Uh, the major problem was really, it's a strange design to say the very least. And we had to make, I made eight versions, by the way. Um, there's a couple of throwaway versions. There's a remote control and computer versions. And there's also a Kenny Baker version. Mm -hmm. um, because to actually get those personal, I mean, you've got to realize that we do everything when it comes to robotics in films. It's robotics slash um, special effect. Mm -hmm. But for later on, for example, I actually did make some what I call true robots for Philips and Toshiba, um, androids, which were totally computerized and no, no, nobody inside. Um, with the Star Wars R2-D2, it had to get certain functions done in a given time. And the first Star Wars was incredibly low budget, very low budget indeed. I think it was four million in actual fact. Um, so again, the special effects units have to be very, very smart and come up with anything to solve a problem. Um, as it turned out, in my opinion, anyway, the effect that there was not very much budget probably helped a hell of a lot to make it uh, a very successful robot. And the reason for that is because we had to actually use a small actor, Kenny Baker, to actually do all the things they had spec for. You know, the, the movements on the legs, uh, the personality, it would have t we could have done it, but it would have taken a lot more money and time. Um, so he brought that life to it, which I think is really the winner, the one that's made it um, the robot it is today. He brought that life in. So, yeah, I had a lot of input. Oh, that is, ve that is very awesome. Now, when you were making those eight robots, 
Was that all you, or did you have any help along the way in the process? I had a team. <laughs> <laughs> if you can call them help, yeah. Uh, how many? How many people work with you on it? Forty people. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, we had forty people together. I mean, it's a very complicated robot. Believe me. I told you I had my outside studio. I told you about that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a five-month period, working two shifts, night and day, to get the eight out and get the master molds done as well. Remember, um, the outside of R two's got, I think it's just under two hundred loose panels, wow. because George wow. didn't he didn't know exactly what it was right in Star Wars as we filmed which is you know, often the case when you've got a low budget um, and a very creative mind behind it which George is and so he wasn't quite sure what he would have it doing you know would it really have out of this um, secret compartment come out a, a fire extinguisher or a couple of little hands to pick up some you know gadgets he wasn't quite sure so one of the things which I really think was the hardest was to actually make these loose panels which would attach and re- and take off and make a door there. So he would say, well, let's have a door there, the right-hand side of that little gizmo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's get the axor out. Um, so you'd take the panel off, and to get the strength for a round tin can, which is what it basically is, what I devised was was called a double skin in, in fiberglass. Uh, and in the, inside the double skin, I put foam, rigid foam. Okay. So that kind of made a sandwich, you know, like you'd build a, an aircraft, for example. Uh, and that gave it incredible, very, very light, and also very, very strong structurally. So that was one of the major developments to make it really work, or the, the project would have never worked out at all. Um, so, yeah, there were lots of things, and, of course, the head had to look like it was aluminium, but it was actually made of... Uh, epoxy so it's put in a vacuum machine and it was yeah probably yeah the most complicated robot i've ever built in my life because i built a lot of robots after that um, mm. but they're never never as complicated as r2 oh wow so basically during production you pretty much had to be around just in case there were any hiccups or setbacks um concerning that unit correct yeah i was working 24 hours a day seven wow. days a week that yeah, is incredible it's a really, really hard project, as I said. And we'd never done anything like it before. Um, when we spec'd it out, and I showed my pattern makers, uh, they all went, nope, going home. <laughs> three, I had three pattern makers working with me at the time. <laughs> Major pattern Oh, makers. wow. Now, now, going from the mind of George Lucas to, the, of course, the gifted brush hands of Ralph McQuarrie, and it eventually ended, ending up in your talented hands, uh, and actually building the most iconic robot in sci-fi history, how does it make you feel to have such an important role in something like Star Wars that'll definitely outlive all of us and our children? <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you should actually say that, because... Somebody told me that I would do that two years prior, which was very scary, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, two years prior to that, I wasn't even making rocking horses, because R2 was one of my first major uh, projects after doing the Bond film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, one day you're going to make something that everybody's going to remember, even when you're dead. I'm going, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to believe that, you know. I mean, no chance in... Mm-mm. Not a chance. It wasn't on the landscape at all. Uh, and then two years later, it happened. 
Um, so it's a, it's a very strange feeling. Very strange. It's, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Um, the only thing I do find fascinating, at the moment I'm promoting uh, next year's talk. I, do, uh, I give keynote speeches. And so I'm promoting them crazy at the moment. Um, and people come back, oh, it's great you contacted me. This could be people in robotics, or many people will say, I went into robotics because of you and your, your creations, which is a fabulous feeling, by the way. Mm. But on the other hand, if I meet new friends, and they say, well, what do you do, Tony? And I tell them, you'll be amazed how they change the subject. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's if, you know... Well, what do I say? What do I, 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 no, just go off and just do something else. And this happens all the time. So online, they'll go, oh, you inspired me and it's lovely to meet you and, and it's really good. But in real life, uh-uh. Mm -hmm. If I want to stop a conversation, I just tell them what I did. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I have another question about R2. Uh, tell, tell us about Kenny Baker and... Uh, uh, you know, him working with the R2 unit and whatnot, and and uh, how does how does that work necessarily? Because I've never seen. Uh, I know that he's inside, right? So how? I mean, it must be very grueling for him to do that. I can only imagine. Uh, can you just repeat that? Sorry, the line's not all that perfect. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Kenny Baker. Uh, how does it? So he he basically gets inside the unit. And controls it from inside. How does that work? Oh, you're back to R2D2. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, there's, as you know, the basic unit, design unit, has got three legs on R2D2. The one that extends in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the two legs on each side, which, by the way, are sprung. There's a spring system inside them, which mm -hmm. actually gets that movement going. So when they started off, and George said, look, I want it to bounce back and forth like a small child. So he had the vision even then. Now, that wasn't accidental, where many things do develop accidentally in films, and everybody at the end says, oh, wasn't that fantastic? Well, yeah, but, you know, I know that from my personal experiences. But in this case, he actually did want that. So he put these uh, spring-loaded legs on him, so he actually do it. Kenny had to stretch his legs into the feet to make this, this work out. Uh, and in some shots, a lot of the fans have got the pictures where you can see a sort of a silver um, conduit around his leg, ankle, to try to cover it up so it can't be seen. So he was there, and what he would do is to basically tap back and forward and move the head. He had a bar inside there. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> reminds me of something I shouldn't really tell you, but I will do. Uh, it became Christmas time, and I can't remember what year. Um, and we thought we'd celebrate because Kenny's got a hell of a good sense of humor. And he's also got a high, an eye for the girls. And so one of the guys brought into the workshop, and it's after a late night, all-nighter, and he had a Playboy magazine. <laughs> and it was the anniversary for a couple of years with these little mini stamps, pictures of the girls that had been in the centerfold, you know, over the last year. And I think there was actually more than 12, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> And he said, what about this then? I said, yeah, very nice. Mm -mm. And carried on working. He said, no, 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 no. You know, with Kenny inside it, yes, I said, why don't we cut these little pictures out and stick them on the roof 
We did exactly that. We did oh, that. Oh my no, god! Said, not many people know this at all. I've got a picture of it actually. <laughs> oh, that is great! So now every time, of course, Kenny's whizzing his helmet his head around. <laughs> the director saying, "Kenny." We don't get too excited on this scene. No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. He's saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, now I'll never un- look un- at- un- until Kurt, uh, the producer, found out <clears throat> that head was removed and a new one was put on top. But uh, oh, it was man. fun. It was fun. So that's how we operated it in some of the cases. Other ones were remote control. Because if you, you know, use the third leg, it used to make his eyes water. <laughs> so now every time I see R2 bouncing around, I know, I know what's going on. <laughs> I'll never, I mean, the movie's never going to be the never same the again. Same again. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I swear, that's great. Now, now one of the coolest... Oh, it was Christmas, remember? That's yeah. true. <laughs> now, one of the cool, coolest things I've ever seen, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a uh, R2-D2... Um, it's an Xbox. Have you ever seen this? It's an Xbox machine inside of it, or or it's a play, uh, it's a PlayStation as well. And it actually you can uh, you can hit a button, the DVD comes out. You can put it, you can put the uh, I'm sorry, the game, you know, where you put the uh, the disc in, and it actually will project the games, and you can play it. Have you ever seen this thing? Um, I've seen an actual miniature or miniature a quarter scale R two D two where. Where the where the um, laser projection, which we have in the first film, comes out of the eye, um, is that the kind of one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, it comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean that one actually. I, well, one of them, and I don't know if it's still on the market because there's so much R two D two memorabilia out there. Uh, one of them projects your your video, your film, mm-hmm. onto the wall. Yeah, that, that that's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, very. So you just find a white wall. You put your quarter-sized R2-D2 up there, and uh, and it'll project the film. You can watch it, actually, on the wall itself. That was, I thought, was rather something else. Um, there's another little model that projects a keyboard, a laser keyboard, onto the table. I like that oh, wow. one. So, oh. Yeah. Um, so you should have it in front where the monitor would be, you know. It's, very, it's a relatively small one, of course. Um, and it projects it on the, on the desk. So it picks up your finger as you break the keys. With your finger, you pick it up those. So there's a few R2s like that. And of course, with, excuse me, with six more films coming out. Yeah, six more. Six more, wow. Yes. Six more, with now Disney's bought the, uh, the rights, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to see so much more of R2. Absolutely. And that actually leads me into another question that I was going to ask. Um, for the new Star Wars um, sequel that's going to be coming out, The Force Awakens, you know, R2-D2 was the first character that was confirmed to be in it. Um, did you have any involvement in The Force Awakens as far as R2-D2 was concerned? No. No, okay. I didn't. Um, in the first films, I was asked to produce uh, Master Mold because it was made, as I said, in, in GP, in plastic. Um, because that's the only way we could get the weight down. So then they could produce more and more, uh, you know, R2s from there on. Um, a couple of more films later on, I was on the films as consultant. Mm-hmm. But the latest ones, I think, and this is ironic, is being made by some uh, R2-D2 fans. Okay. Really? Yeah. 
I've seen pictures over the web about it, which I thought was really exciting. Um, the reason why that's exciting is that I had to agree not to give away the specifications and plans of R2. Um, it was a verbal agreement, but basically when you work in the film industry, you know, it's just as good as anything. Mm. Um, and so I didn't do. And I think I was contacted by a guy called David in Australia who wanted to start, this is a Yahoo group at the time, many, many, many years ago. Um, and it was going to be a builder's club for people that wanted to build R2-D2. And, of course, the first thing they did when I got onto the, the group said, can you give us the specifications? <laughs> and I said, uh, no. And they were very uptight about it. I mean, not happy bunnies at all. And I explained, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm agreed. And, 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 uh, but they weren't happy. Now, a couple of years later, um, Lucasfilms came out with the idea that uh, nobody could build R2s and sent them these letters saying, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Now, they do. <laughs> it's gone right round in a full circle. The, uh, the Builders Club actually, and this is really, really funny, they actually build R2-D2s and take them to conventions, which I'm not allowed to do, by the way, um, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and to top everything, something they were trying to ban, or Lucas was, now that it's uh, in the hands of Disney, They've actually used, as I said, three enthusiasts, I think from the same club, to build the R2 for the latest films. So isn't that funny how uh, life is? Uh, yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, that's, yeah. Wow, that's funny. Got right around a full circle. Uh, yep. Just shows you how dedicated these guys are. I mean, they've built some beautiful ones. I mean, I've autographed quite a few of them when I've gone around the conventions myself. You, there, uh, you know, there's... Um now, uh, Yard is going to kill me, but there's a, there are, there are other similar R two D twos, the ones with the the different kind of the flatter heads. Uh, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah. There, yeah. Were, there was quite a few. Um, those, I mean, let's go back to the film itself. Mm -hmm. um, the art department, in actual fact, made the different types of R two D two. They would take one of our basic ones. They made, I remember them rubber molding the outside of my, my actual models, right? Because it was going to be long-distance shot. You, you know the difference between long-distance shot and close-ups, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and you can get away with it, have a lot more in the distance, which so is slightly foggy and out of focus. Um, and so they made some casts from these rubber molds. Um, and then they produced the different kinds of R2s with the flat head and the red uh, lineage and the signs. And I think there's about, let me think how many there is. I think there's four basic units. There's a yellow one, red one, blue one. Mm -hmm. I think there's four altogether, slightly different. Um, a couple of the museums have got them, uh, or reproductions of them, if I recall. Um, a couple have come up in auction. Yeah. They're around. Oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. And the, the, the flathead, the red one, um, I mean, well, the white one with the red trim, those are the, the R2-D4 units. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's right. Yeah, and then a couple of the films are in the background, you know. Um, and they add a lot of flavor to the, uh, to the film, obviously they do. But as I said, um, I think they pull them over the rope, actually. Get them that, to move from casters. That is awesome. Did you get an opportunity to see the, the trailer that they released for <laughs> The Force Awakens? The new trailer? Yes, did you get an opportunity to see it yet? 
What, you think I'm interested in Star Wars? Don't be so silly. I mean, last week, pretty much Star Wars, it pretty much blew up the internet. It seems to be a, um, a new excitement. Uh, for the new movies coming out. And I think one of the great things about Star Wars is that with George Lucas's vision, he's managed to make a Star Wars for each person's generation. That's why the saying Star Wars is forever. Uh, it seemingly is going to be true. Um, just like you were mentioning, there are six new films. And I think that it's awesome that one of the most iconic uh, droids that's ever been around R2-D2 is probably going to be around for the, for the next 30 years, you know? So <laughs> I, I think that that is so great. And, you know, one of the things, especially with me, you know, because I grew up with Star Wars and it's definitely been very inspirational in my life. I just think that, you know, whenever I hear the word Star Wars, I always think of a blue lightsaber and R2-D2. So I, I just think that it's awesome that, um, that you worked on it and you had an opportunity. And every time someone sees Star Wars, they're going to see a little bit of you as well. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Can That's I have great. that right here on the back of my book, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the no. forward. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm, I'm hoping very much. I haven't seen the script yet, <laughs> um, but I'm hoping very much that they will be going back, because Disney's in charge of this, this session, to the earlier versions of Star Wars, yes. um, because I think everybody who's a fan agrees that um, when they had the intimate relationship with the heroes... That was the times when they could really take on. And I think if we'd actually had the later versions of Star Wars, uh, and they had been the first ones to come out, it would have been a little bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Because as it progresses, just like it does with uh, our other films, they progress, they get more complicated special effects, the storylines become more complicated, there's more heroes involved. The earlier versions, as I said, we were intimate with the heroes, and that sort of gave us a basis. Now we've got a new generation of people watching it. It would be nice to know, and I've been told it's true this time, they're going back to a more personal relationship with the heroes. That would work for me very much. You know, I would like to, like to see that. And I've been promised it will happen. But yes, there's people now that have only heard, I mean, there's some resistance from the younger people, of course. You know, if, if a parent goes on about it being great, they'll probably go off it, because you know what kids are like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's you know? so true. I mean, friends of mine, my mom and I have children and they've got their own children now, of course, obviously. But we always maintain one thing. If a child comes down the stairs and they've got green hair and then things coming out of their ears and they say, what do you think? And you say, you look great. Straight upstairs and they change. <laughs> <laughs> That's right? You're right, you're right. That is not the object of the exercise. You're supposed to say, you're not going out that door with green hair. Then they've made it. Then they're out the door and they're feeling good. So if you say, I love Star Wars too many times, you'll probably put off all the youngsters and never want them to go to see it. So a tip, just say, yeah, it was all right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you made a good point about the, um, the first three um, definitely being more intimate as opposed to the last three. Because at least with the last three, 
we kind of already knew how things were going to end up to that point. And what makes these new movies so exciting is the fact that we're going into it like we did the original trilogy, not necessarily knowing what's going to go on. So I totally agree with you. I, I think that them basically getting back to um, the old ways, more intimate relationships with the characters, as you have, as you have mentioned. But also, I think that J.J. Abrams is going to mix it up and get um, back to shooting more in um, practical locations and uh, having you know more sets and things like that. So that'll kind of harken back to the old days. And I'm, I think I'm very excited. And you make a good point. Uh, what made the the original trilogy so great is they focused more on the different relationships with the characters and it got you more invested in what was going on as opposed to the latter ones where we knew what was going to happen so hopefully everything you've been hearing is true and um you actually you make me feel real good about these new movies coming out yeah i mean i think most people you know agree with me on that even though so much of my life has been involved with special effects you can overdo something it's like having too much ice cream or too much cake um too much special effects does not work that's all there is to it. It should enhance the story, not take away from the story. Um, and we all know that, but Hollywood still keeps on doing it because they feel they must do a better job. They feel they should spend the money they're given on the second, third, or fourth film. Um, and it just doesn't work out. Uh, what can I say? Sometimes the directors listen, sometimes they don't. Most times they don't. Um, but I think the new series will do. I think it will go back to that again. Um, and which should be fabulous, you know. And we might even get a television story because George Lucas refused to actually make a te television series, mm -hmm. which is ironic when you consider it. But Disney, of course, is a different uh, ball game altogether. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> they have a different uh, outlook. So oh, maybe that will happen. Now, I would uh, like to see it. Now, I will say this about Disney, though. One of the reasons why they've been successful, especially with picking up things like um, the Marvel series and, of course, now they have Star Wars, is I think one of the things that's going to make them successful, just as, they, as they've done with Marvel, is the fact that they kind of get out of the way and let the people who are the most passionate about it handle the product. And they don't necessarily step in, step on toes and try to change too many things. So that made me feel better when they got the acquisition of um, Lucasfilm. So yeah. hopefully if they let the people who know what they're doing, the people who are passionate about it, do what they do best and they don't try to step in the way, I have yeah. no doubt that these films are going to be phenomenal. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's lots of things I love about Disney. I mean, one of the major things I love about them is the way they pick themselves up from a loss. Mm -hmm. the, their actual film side, uh, a couple of years back, was really bombing out, was doing very, very badly. <laughs> and they picked themselves up, brought out a new label called Touchstone, if you recall. Mm -hmm. um, and Touchstone actually brought out what we call adult films, more, uh, more serious type of film. They thought, they believed at the time, that people wouldn't accept a serious film um, or even a violent film from uh, a label of Disney, you know, mm -hmm. because of what they're famous for in animations. So that's why they brought out the label uh, Touchstone. And then after a while, they found out people didn't really mind, you know. They mm -hmm. weren't going to hold it against them because the film might be violent, but it had the Disney label on. Um, they also did quite a few earth changes as well within the corporation and picked themselves up to an incredibly successful film studio now um, and that's one of the reasons why them buying the franchise was amazing 
Um, they've incorporated it into Disneyland, but they did that a long time ago. They've even built their own R2-D2s down at Disney. Um, a couple of great lads down there yeah. produced them. Um, um, so really that... Uh, you always love watching people adjust themselves, be a company or an individual, um, and when they do have hard times, finding creative ways to get out of it and then build themselves mm-hmm. back up to you know, so much bigger than they were, which Disney yeah. did. You know, yeah. you've got to take your hat off to that kind of thing. You really have. And so them taking it on board and then saying, no, we're not making just one film, we're making six. Um, we're doing this. And you think, wow. You know, isn't that a marvelous thing? Marvelous. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I have to give George Lucas credit for this as well. But before Disney uh, gained um, acquisition of Lucasfilms, he hired Kathleen Kennedy. And... I was very happy that he did that because this is a woman who, who's very successful. She knows what she's doing. And I think that one of the things that George did before he gave it up, before he got his $4 billion to, uh, to sleep on, <laughs> uh, was he hired her on because he trusted her and he knew that she would do a good job um, taking the reins. So uh, Star Wars is in good hands. And um, I think, you know, in George Lucas is still involved. He's still a consultant and things like that. But I'm really happy that he took the time out to make certain stipulations and to um, acquire the right personnel before he handed it off so that way he could give it up and feel good about the product going forward so kudos to him and kudos to all of you guys that have worked on it and made um, Star Wars so special thank you was that a roundup? that was <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if that was a statement to round off the interview or what I know <laughs> it's a statement it's definitely a statement and, um, and uh, so one thing we definitely got we want to get to again is I know we, we talked about the books that are coming out. So what's the first thing that we can expect that'll be put on the market as far as your your books? Oh, my book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Switch switch mind again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the first two are coming out for Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and that will be the Bobakin Adventures of um, Clyde and Sue, called Bobakins. Um, and the one is Wildflower Fairies, about flowers and fairies. They're both coming out for Christmas, and then straight after Christmas, we'll be seeing uh, the series of Amazing Robots. All right. So, All right. so look out for Bobbikins, look out for Wildflower Fairies. God, you can't say that this time in the morning, can you? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, it's four o'clock in the morning, guys. Give us the old man a break. (laughs) Hey, you're in Malta (laughs) on the island. You're in Malta (laughs) on the island, all right? (laughs) I want to switch places. Flower fairies and the adventures of the Bobbikins, Clive and Sue. They'll be coming out in Kindle and their picture books. And um, I think it'll be really good fun. And then don't forget for the amazing robots next year. Now, now, Tony, I see that you're, you know, you're kind of in this social media game. I mean, you're on Facebook and you're also on Twitter. Uh, what is your favorite uh, social media platform? Ah, that's taking some time, as. Um, <laughs> my favorite at the moment, but that's because I'm biased towards uh, linked thinking um, because that's the one I'm promoting most of all, making a lot of contacts in the, uh, let's say, for example, in um, Japan and America um, for my, my talk. So that one I quite like. 
Um, Twitter's not doing bad. I've got, what, 12K followers on there. That's, that's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've got to spend more time on there myself. I haven't got many followers on Facebook, not really, but I'll be building that up as well. Um, so it's difficult. I work the three. I mean, I have got also, what's it called, uh, me, the me one. Um, but basically, that's the three I'm, I work most of all. My favorite, as I said, linked, LinkedIn would be the best because I'm meeting some incredible people, I must admit. One of my favorite robots is uh, from Honda in Japan, by the way. As a mo, um, and two days ago, the lead scientist there befriended me, and I'm going like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I nice. mean, you get things like that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a person, a lovely woman, that's um, quite large in robotics. I mean, she used to work for I Robot, the ones that make that little vacuum cleaner. Uh-huh. She wrote me a nice little uh, piece of how much. I had to do to affected her to get into MIT and set up a, a robot company. Nice. So oh, wow. she, she wrote a, a referral for that, and that made me pretty happy. So, yeah, there's lots of nice things like that happening. Because when I was in Japan last time, I missed going around the Honda stu- uh, studio or factory. Um, unfortunately, my agent didn't ask them, so I didn't mention it to him, but I forgot. And he sent the request in too late, so we got the yes to go two days before I left. Um, I've always regretted that quite a lot because I think the, the Honda uh, uh, robot is, is amazing. So that would be nice when I go back next year to actually have a chance of going around there. So that's one, I'm, as I said, I'm working most of all. I've got about a thousand contacts there at the moment. And oh. every day is uh, a delight because I get three or four different requests and it's fun and yeah, it's keeping me pretty excited about it, you know? Uh, oh, man, that is great. And you said, and you definitely, you have 12,000 plus followers, and you already know you've got three new. You know, Kentai and Olaf are, are totally on the Twitter bandwagon with you. So um, we're definitely going to keep up uh, with the goings. And I guess I'm going to have to get up on my LinkedIn profile as well. I haven't, uh, I, I've been kind of slacking on that front. So you've inspired me to start keeping up with that a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's a great. I mean, they've got a couple of, they've got three million, I think, or four million people. Mm. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely amazing. And the fact you can reach out and make a network uh, and build a network. I mean, I've got deans and professors from all over the world and robot scientists. So all the subject I'm interested in, I give talks at universities as well, you see. Um, Yeah, that's, ah, wow. And they come back and say, oh, I got into robots because of you. Uh, Oh, wow. And it makes you, it makes you feel good. What's the next keynote you're going to do? Uh, I think the next keynote is just being booked this morning, actually. Yes. I think it's going to be in Houston in oh, April. Okay. There's a, a world summit there, and they want to give us a chat there. So I think mean, that's in April. Yeah. Nice. That's in, that's in the States, of course. Houston, where they have... I think they do something to do with um, mythic rockets. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Astros and rockets. <laughs> yeah, they got some ro- couple of rockets there. They used yeah, to have Oilers the there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can the, see uh, the, the favorite, cape from the where... Catchphrase, oh, I'm sorry, the, cape, the favorite catchphrase in Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Hopefully he won't yeah, be saying I mean, that. Times we've all used that one. <laughs> Houston, I think we've got a problem. I mean, God, it's a one that it's, it's nearly as good as made the force be with you. But my favorite isn't either. My favorite at the moment is let the Wookiee win. 
I'll tell you a small story. Very quick, 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 quick. Uh-huh. If I use that as the heading when I'm making friends with any of these people, be it a professor, a dean, or a top scientist, I always get a good response. I'm <laughs> 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 not joking. Come on. No doubt. I put that as the heading, let the Wookiee win. But then you always come back to me. Isn't that great? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I got, uh, everybody expects dead serious, and I just say, thanks for befriending me. If I can do anything to help you, and then at the top I put, let the Wookiee win. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually named one a uh, uh, dog that I had after after Chewbacca. I named him Chewie. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I had a dog sweet. named Chewbacca. And was it a, a miniature? Was it? <laughs> well, he yeah. was about as he was about as hairy. I wouldn't say miniature. He was a hundred and ten pound dog. So, he wasn't too <laughs> oh wow! All right, I, I got I got one one little question for the road. Um, yep. If you were going to become a Jedi and they act, they let you pick the color of lightsaber that you were going to have, what color would you pick? Well, if I bent my arm and said pink. Would you kill me? <laughs> no. <laughs> green, green. Ah, uh, yes, the I, color I of life. Kill, I want to kill them with nope, love. Sorry, sorry, the pink's already out there. You can't take it back to the green. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> See, hey Tony, you're gonna have to check your Twitter because I'm gonna have to make a little uh, animation of you with a pink lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I shouldn't have said it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm behind at four o'clock in the morning. green green hey listen listen it's not pink it's salmon there you go salmon (laughs) (laughs) that's what I would be saying I took advantage of me I want to rerun (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much uh, Tony it's uh, it's been awesome talking to you at uh, 4am for you uh, and we're going to keep on the lookout for for your your books and stuff. And you know what we're going to do is we're going to uh, I'm going to pick up some of the books and we're going to um, give them out on the show. So oh, uh, we're going to yeah. def- we're going to do that. So Fine. yeah, and uh huh. Uh, yep 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 yep. Yeah. So uh, you guys as always really nice. And and Tony, um, don't be a stranger. We got to get you back on. I had a real good time tonight. Um, you, you've got a phenomenal energy, and uh, anytime that you've got something coming out, if you want to promote it, uh, we have our arms open, and we'll definitely help you pitch it. Oh, that's a great offer. I'll take you upon it, especially when the robot one comes out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be good, wouldn't it? All right. So uh, just as, as a programming note, remember Thursday, we have another uh, Spotlight episode. Uh, we're going to be uh, t- chatting with actor Doug Dunning. And, of course, uh, we have the special TMU reunion show on Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, 4 Eastern. And Thursday show, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. So uh, I'm Kente, and uh, um, you can find me at Kente F on Twitter. What about you, uh, Yardley? Um, I'm Yardley, of course, and you can find me on Twitter at Militant underscore Marker. And Olaf? And I am the captain, otherwise Olaf Barbosa. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Olaf Barbosa. And uh, and you're uh, at Robot Master, right? (laughs) I'm at Robot Master. The Robot King. The the Robot, yeah. Switch up. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, no, the The, the Robot robot Master. (laughs) Yeah, the, I forgot the. All right. Uh, You guys have a great rest of your day. Peace. Have a good night.